3: on the 26th of December. Good morning, everyone. It is Inside the Clubhouse. I am Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. Good morning, Bruce. How are you, sir?
4: Good morning, Matt. Uh, Happy holidays to you, your family, and uh, certainly to all our listeners as uh, we hope you had a wonderful Christmas day and look forward to a safe and happy new year as we draw you close to the hot stove as we... Warm You Up for Baseball 2021. And part of that, we'll be doing a bit of a review of 2020. And we want to get your thoughts always at 312-644-6767. That's also the text line. Matt will read all that is worthy to go on the air. And depending on his mood once in a while, some things that shouldn't go on.
3: (laughs) You can always... You can always pretty much count on that it's, uh, it 's it's, it's an odd time to be thinking about um, thinking about baseball because the hot stove is still pretty cool, still pretty glacial uh, they 're unable to get wood and, uh, and other kinds of fuel there to the hot stove. Will they soon, Bruce? will we see some more activity? All I have really on uh, on the news source. Websites is these teams would be a good fit for these free agents kind of articles everywhere you look. Well,
4: it's going to be slow. I mean, the White Sox certainly uh, filled some needs uh, early on here with the, uh, you know, adding of uh, Lynn and uh, Eaton and uh, the uh, prospective signing of the top Mm -hmm. international uh, free agent in Yoki Cespedes uh, on January 15th. Supposedly around two million dollars, top five-tool outfielder for the Chicago White Sox. So, they've been busy. The White, Sox, uh, the Cubs have added some back-end players, uh, such as uh, Duffy and Irvin, an outfielder and an infielder that will solidify uh, some positions at the back end. A little pitching here and there, but nothing of huge impact on the north side. Um, and most of the teams, as you point out, Matt, uh, not really uh, lighting it up right now, but. I think the uh, ability to predict when spring training will start, when players will be able to be inoculated, have the vaccine, and be uh, available to play without uh, fear of infecting each other from other people and themselves. I think that is a key as to when baseball is going to start. And getting around to the major point, uh, why we might have a slow off-season as far as people spending and adding players to their team. Tell
3: people who the guests are coming up later on today, Bruce. It'll be you and me and the listeners in large part in the first hour. But uh, after that, we'll be joined by a few.
4: Bob Nightingale of USA Today, the great columnist, reporter, will join us talk some uh, Cubs, Sox, and everything national. Our own Les Grabstein, Celebrating 50 years of great broadcasting, believe it or not, since Les is only 43 years old, which is Mm -hmm. unbelievable, you know, in itself. We'll talk to Les at 10.30. 11 o'clock, Bill Madden, the Hall of Fame writer from New York, uh, many, many, many years with the New York Daily News. A book out on Tom Seaver, uh, A Terrific Life, it's called, and we'll talk to Bill then. We have bonus baseball for you today, bonus baseball talk. 9 until 11.30 today, so tune in, and then we are followed by the NFL after that.
3: Yes, um, a crazy, crazy busy sports day, but we thought we'd start with looking back a little bit on 2020. Uh, Obviously, a horrific year in world history. I don't think it holds a candle to 1066. Myself, uh, Bruce, the year of the Norman Conquest and and so many terrible things that, that happened
4: I remember that. Freddie Norman, that left handed pitcher, was he was something <laughs> something special. <laughs> the I didn't know it was wasn't... that long ago. Oh yeah. I didn't it know was. it was that long ago that he pitched, but I knew I knew he was a solid left hander out of yep. out of Miami, Florida.
3: Yeah, and the conquest refers to his dominance over the National League Central. Of course. Of course. You know? yeah. um, so but you know, a terrible year and it'll be remembered for the pandemic and the effect it it had on all of us. Um, but amidst all of that, there was baseball. There was plenty of baseball and plenty of local baseball with some good stuff. I know I, I think of the highlights because I'm an optimistic person and I try to I try to think back on the good and hold on to it and, um, and appreciate it. There were obviously plenty of, uh, of lowlights available, too. But um, I'll forever think about this year, Bruce, as as one. And I hope there are many more in our near future. But we went into this season when eventually there was a season with clear-eyed hopes for postseason possibilities for both teams. You know, really both of them in, in different spaces in their life cycle, but certainly both with playoff aspirations. And they both played well for most of the season and ended up in those playoffs. Both went out quickly, but you know, I hope we uh, I hope we approach more opening days with that kind of uh, double-edged optimism in a two-team town. And, and I'm not sure that we will right away.
4: Well, it's going to be a while. Uh, I, you know, most people believe that baseball is telling teams to be ready for February spring training and be ready to go then and talking about bubbles and different things like that that may occur. Uh, the more... Uh, Realistic group is thinking that it might be a month later uh, due to the pandemic and when people will be getting the vaccine. But that said, uh, you know, I think there'll be a lot to be optimistic about about the Chicago White Sox from the get go. There's no reason not to. Uh, With the Chicago Cubs, it's still wait and see as to what this team is going to be all about. Um, Unfortunately for them, they've set the bar so high that um, they win a division And people are looking at them like uh, a team that is not going to compete in 2021 with the non-moves so far and the idea that they're only uh, 11 months away now from uh, dealing with the fact that Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez may be free agents at that point. So there's there's some negativity floated in with the the Cubs, but there's a, a long way to go right now before... We see what that team looks like and how it fills out. Do you um,
3: you know, the the stated perspective is a two pronged approach of retooling and becoming a bit more inefi- a bit more efficient, excuse me, um, but also trying to compete. They're gonna mm-hmm. they're gonna do that. They're gonna try and do both. Very difficult to try and do both, but uh, I think that's what they're going and, to try and, and uh, do. And you,
4: there's a third part. Uh, they're going to. Uh, come up with a way to find world peace as well. <laughs> All three things. <laughs> I mean, it, it is so difficult. It is so difficult in sports, in baseball in particular, to uh, really follow through on, you know, trying to rebuild, retool, reshuffle, whatever you want to call it, adding young players to the mix that aren't quite there uh, yet, major league ready-wise, but there almost to help you go forward and still try to win in that particular season. Um, it, it's it's almost impossible these days the way baseball kind of trends, you know, when you see the White Sox and Padres, two of the top teams in baseball now, and see how long they had to be down for to be able to trade off veterans, to uh, draft high, to get international free agents, uh, to make trades that uh, were viable. Uh, it's, it's a tough process. And, So watching the Cubs and hearing that they're going to try to do both, uh, very difficult to comprehend.
3: When they've had a few off seasons to try and and, and do that kind of thing, a needle threading trade, and have not done it um, until now, um, up to now. And if they try to now, there's the added difficulty of the financial atmosphere of the entire game and and the entire country, which uh, makes it a little bit more difficult. But that's... You know, we'll, we'll have time to dissect and think about it over the course of the offseason. Three one 67, 67. Let's look back on the year that was, Bruce, with, with some, some highlights. And I guess I, I will, you know, I don't know if it's the number one thing we'll look back historically, but when I think of this year, I think of the changing tides of the White Sox on the rise and the Cubs trying to hold on. And I think of that tremendous weekend. At Wrigley Field, and I know our producer Mike Rankin has a, a couple of things ready to play for us. That weekend at Wrigley Field when Jose Abreu just was, was absolutely dominant and with all that power. Mike, you've got some highlights from that weekend, I know, as Jose Abreu dominated at Wrigley Field.
5: Jose in the air, way back! Oh my goodness! Batman Jose is at it again, and Darvish can only laugh. This is outrageous! Nobody's here to watch, but everyone at home has their hearts in their throats. And on 0 2 to right field, Adam Engel is there! A no hitter the 19th in White Sox history. First pitch swing in the air. Luis Robert makes the catch. And in a year when so many of us have had to be apart. We all will journey together into October with the White Sox. For the first time in 12 years the Sox are going to the playoffs first pitch to bryant drilled in the air left field deep down the line of its fair it's gonna be gone that ball is a grand slam home run for chris bryant right down the left field line we had to wait fair by only a foot or two a towering drive and the Cubs now lead five to two. The three-one pitch on the way. A swing and a ground ball toward the middle. Baez has it, throws to first. Alec Mills has just pitched a no-hitter. A no-hitter for Cubs right-hander Alec Mills. A ground ball to Baez, a routine play. The Cubs are mobbing the young right-hander on the mound, jumping up and down. What a great moment for Alec Mills as the Cubs win the ball game 12 to nothing. Well, a great weekend for the Chicago Cubs and a great day for Alec Mills.
1: Many of you are aware that I'd always planned to be with the Cubs for about 10 years. Because of that, Tom and I had been in communication for the last several years about uh, a possible transition and trying to figure out a way to execute a transition that would be best for the Cubs, put the organization in the best possible position, and also be good for me. And the communication was something I really appreciated. It was so well done, um, Tom. You know, looking out for me and my interests. And and I was trying always to focus on, on the best interests of the Cubs and it was it couldn't have been more amicable. And uh, I really appreciate the way that was handled. Jed is his own man. He's been a loyal and outstanding right-hand man, but he has his own opinions, his own perspective, his own leadership style. He really truly does not need me over his shoulder this next year while we finish off a transition that in a lot of respects has been years in the making. So uh, he's going to do an outstanding job. He deserves this opportunity and and the Cubs are lucky to have them. Special thank you from that group to to Jed, to Jason McLeod, to Matt Dory, and to others who, who left great jobs in baseball to follow me here. Thank you for that special trust you placed in me. And I'm so glad that things have gone so well for you here and uh, that you ultimately triumphed. Your trust means the world to me. Thank you.
3: It's a nice job by Mike Rankin, putting all those things together, Bruce Levine, a lot of stuff in there with some highlights. And then that uh, that memorable moment of Theo Epstein stepping away in the uh, in the middle of November.
4: And we'll continue on uh, talking about uh, some other highlights here, including right now. But in our next uh, segment, we'll talk a little bit about Tony La Russa and his uh, shocking entrance into Chicago White Sox baseball once again after thirty-five years. But uh, Matt, uh, what stands out to you as uh, your highlight for the year, if you're? you're held to the wall and uh, we're saying one which is it
3: oh boy um you know th- there was some real happiness and and magic to the night of the giolito no hitter for me um the fact that it was mccann there it and it felt like um the culmination of the giolito transformation and also felt like Just what a beautiful, powerful Chicago baseball moment in a year when we thought we might not have any at all. So and that was it was a really clean, clean night. And I was just, you know, home standing as close to the television as possible. And uh, with none of us being able to be at the ballpark, it was still pretty damn special. So I guess that that one is going to stick with me a bit.
4: I'm going to cheat and do two. One of them, number one, is going to be the White Sox clinching on a Thursday afternoon, uh, the first American League team to clinch a playoff spot uh, after 12 years of not going to the playoffs, after many years of finishing under 500. So I I look at that as the White Sox highlight. For the the Cub highlight, uh, it came early, and it came in uh, game number three for the Chicago Cubs when— the new manager David Ross went out and took out his friend and top pitcher for the Cubs over the last five years, John Lester, and really established himself right then and there as, "Hey, you're throwing great, and hey, you got a shutout, but it's time for you to come out of the ball game." Uh, to me, that was uh, that was the you know sign that uh, David Ross had taken over command of the Chicago Cubs and was no longer just a friend of the players, but the manager of the team.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good one, Bruce. And, uh, you know, I'll also think about Ross going out and getting Craig Kimbrell and pulling him from a save situation at one point as as an emblem of how he handled that entire situation, which ended up being pretty masterful in terms of Kimbrell. Um, but I know I know Ross has talked about being less patient, not less and He's coming up at ten thirty, but less patient um, with his guys, perhaps next year that he was a little bit too patient. But the way he dealt with Kimbrel was was pretty telling. Um, and and as you say with Lester, he he clearly established what was going to be the uh, the regime. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
4: Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of highlights, but again we're talking about two months of baseball, you know, compared yeah. to the. The six that we're used to, and it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, we were giving out Cy Young's and we're giving out MVPs and we're giving out rookie of the year for uh, something that they deserved, every one of them. But uh, the two month test, uh, I mean, I see there's legitimacy in the Dodgers being the world champions, especially the fact that they were the best team from beginning to end. And Tampa was the second best team in baseball. From beginning to end so i think there was some symmetry there but from the idea that uh it was a you know when pitchers make 12 starts and you know relief pitchers you know go out there and uh pitch in uh you know 20 games it's it's hard to hard to really get your head around the fact that this was a complete season nonetheless we were all very thrilled that it took place
3: yeah, I, I put more legitimacy into the postseason results than I do the regular season. You know what I mean? Like, once you get in, that yeah. postseason was, uh, was, was your standard juggernaut. In fact, a little bit more difficult than usual because of so few off days. And uh, so, yeah, I think there's absolute legitimacy to the Dodgers winning the whole thing more than there even is to the, uh, the, the, the shortened regular season.
4: So 3126446767 that's our number your thoughts on your highlights lowlights of 2000 and 20 as we move toward 2021 here on Inside the Clubhouse.
3: Yeah, hop on in and we'll talk about it. Whatever you want from the Cubs and Sox years in terms of highlights and lowlights, as Bruce mentioned. And uh, later on, we'll be joined by Bob Nightingale from USA Today. And then Les Grobstein from The Score on his 50 years in broadcasting and the baseball angle of it. And uh, also Bill Madden, the Hall of Fame a uh, sports writer and author of a ton of really good baseball books. We'll talk to him at 11 o'clock in the meantime, as Bruce mentioned, we'll come back and get into Tony La Russa and his return. And he spoke this week after his plea deal in Arizona. We'll talk about that next on inside the clubhouse right here on six seventy the score
1: part of my job as general managers, try to explain those thoughts to the fans and to the media, uh, but I don't want to belabor that too much today instead i'll pivot to another one of my responsibilities at gm and that is to welcome home uh welcome back to an or- the organization all of famer tony larusso next manager to chicago white Sox.
5: that was recon the day tony larusso was introduced
3: it is inside the clubhouse on 670 the score looking back on the year that was and also in a moment, getting to some of the sound of Tony uh, talking to the media this week. But you used the word "shocking," Bruce, for Tony Lewis's return after 35 years.
4: Yep, 1986.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, shocking, I think is I, I think is right. I think um, most people were d- d- did not expect uh, him, did not expect uh, a manager of that particular vintage. Um, nor is someone who had been out of the game in terms of being a manager. He's been doing other things with other ball clubs, but out of the game as a manager uh, over the last nine years.
4: People uh, in general, you know, we hear on our station, other stations across the country were uh, shocked by this, I think, and also uh, a little bit upset, Uh, upset that uh, there wasn't a younger, uh, more hip, uh, local, you know, idea of, of a manager that was hired, somebody that uh, had managed m- uh, more recently than 2011, uh, somebody uh, in general that that wasn't Tony Larusa because of the fact that uh, both on the north and south side, after he left, uh, he became an adversary, a guy that was tremendously successful and a uh, focal point for not being uh, well-liked because he was too successful and he was somewhere else. Uh, there was also an air about him of, well, of course, my team and I expect to win every year. And he did more than most. That's why after 33 years, uh, he became a Hall of Fame manager, and, but continued uh, his uh, zest for the game and wanting to be a part of it. And here he is, the manager of your Chicago White Sox moving forward.
3: And there was uh, also the, um, the, the fact that, that Rick Hahn was given so much power over these last five years to instill his image, and this one did not seem to fit his image. And on that day when, when Rick was introducing him, there seemed to be a level of discomfort for Rick because, uh, you know, I, as, as guests would say in the following few days, and people would say, I remember Paul Conurco saying it so well, the golden rule, you know? He who has the gold, make the rules. So um, it, uh, Jerry had his guy, and, and, that's, and that's who the manager is. But it, it's, been a, it's been a process for a lot of people to you know, think about it, wrap their heads around it, and, um, and get comfortable with it if you're a White Sox fan. And if you're, if you're not, to just sort of you know, um, wrap yourself around the realities of it. And then Tony spoke to the media this week right. for the first time um, since that day spoke to the uh, Chicago media after uh, not after pleading guilty to a reckless driving charge in Arizona. Right, Bruce. He he avoids jail time as one day of of uh, of house arrest and and some other penalties, 20 hours of uh, alcohol course that he took and several hours of community service that have to be served as well.
4: And having to talk to the Chicago media.
3: Oh, that's the worst. I mean, my God. <laughs> that is, yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you asked the first question, of memory serves. I mean, that's whew, that's a tough sentence right there uh, for Tony. But let's listen to Tony a little bit as he talked about the team supporting him and how he is excited to manage the White Sox.
6: I do appreciate the support I've received from everyone in the organization, including the players. I know I need to prove myself, and that's both on and off the field. On the field, I'm really excited about the team we have this year and our prospects of playing Winning baseball, contending baseball, contending for a championship. I know I was hired to help contribute to this team pursuing that championship goal. And uh, I'm fired up, and I intend to do that.
3: Here's Tony talking about how it was awkward telling the players not to do as he did in terms of uh, the drinking and the driving. No
6: doubt that uh, credibility is is key to any leader. And that I would point to is if you're talking about the issue of having some drinks and getting behind the wheel—that I can speak from experience about what a huge mistake that is, and uh, how painful the consequences are—and uh, I think you always look at it when you with the team, you look at it personally and professionally. This is personal, and um, not only that, but you know, there's other things in your life that uh, that I can speak to on a positive basis. This is a very negative one, and unfortunately, I can speak with experience. The you other know, things we're going to concentrate on are the professional things that happen with our team and how we get ready to play and compete. And with that, you know, I don't feel any restraints. So
3: that's Tony La Russa, and I think that's the biggest issue is can you, can you be respected as a leader after this stuff, uh, stuff like this goes down uh, when it's the second time in, in your life? And as long as you're transparent and as long as you're humble and, and willing to uh, talk openly with people, then I think you probably can. Bruce?
4: I think, yeah, I agree with you, Matt. And I think you have to make the distinction here that Tony Larusa did not hire himself and that this uh, event occurred almost a year ago. So from that perspective, um, remember that the White Sox hired Tony Larusa with the knowledge that this was coming up and this was going to have to be dealt with. And Tony accepted this job knowing that he would have to deal with whatever the law said uh, he was guilty of and uh, the fact that he would have to talk about this. So if there was any hesitation, and I know there was a time where Tony waited for at least a week or 10 days after this job was offered to him uh, to make sure that uh, the, all these things were going to be uh, acceptable and handleable for him at this point in time. He knew that he was going to have to go through this uh, once he accepted the job. Jerry Reinsdorf knew that the organization and Tony were going, have to, going to have to go through this when he offered him the job. So th- that's a distinction I think you have to make uh, when you analyze whether he, sh- he is uh, the right guy for the job or should he have the job. This was already analyzed by Jerry and by Tony, uh, before the uh, the offer and the acceptance took place,
3: yeah, so they knew this level of discomfort was coming. they, they, they knew that, that this kind of stuff was coming, and uh, expect you know if there are games and if there 's winning, then most people will look will look past all this stuff it 'll be. It, it, it's similar, in, in, in a way, to Cub fans looking past the indiscretions of Araldus Chapman. That, and, and, you know, that year was uncomfortable. That, 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 that year was, frankly, uncomfortable for a lot of people to root for Araldus Chapman. But you did it, and, it was, and, and, and you're thankful for his contributions to the franchise. And I'm not saying Tony is the same right. level of human or, or anything right. like that. But I'm just saying that your discomfort as a fan sometimes is something you have to deal with.
4: Well, and again, uh, that kind of shows the hypocrisy of all of us when we look at sports heroes and we want the best for our teams, but we have to accept uh, the the human uh, element of what they do off the field and uh, whether or not in this day and age, especially with uh, social media, that uh, you can handle it, you can accept it, and you can move on from it. Uh, because. In the court of public opinion, uh, you know this was unacceptable for Tony LaRusso to have a, a second uh, alcohol-related incident occur in 14 years, and that he is setting an example for a young, talented team. Uh, in some ways, it's incongruent because of the fact that uh, we don't personally um, get involved with uh, individuals and their conduct off of the field and how they comport themselves unless they go off the track.
3: This is a little more from Tony talking about the mistake that he's made and how he'll have to prove himself on and off the field. This when week. this
4: hit immediately after
6: that, um, you know, it's a serious downer and it's and fans should be concerned because it's a mistake that uh is totally avoidable and uh I'm pleased that I'm having a chance to talk publicly about the anger that I feel for myself for making that mistake. Uh, I know how serious when you have a drink and you decide to drive what a mistake, how serious that mistake is. And as I said in my statement, I mean, there's, there hadn't been a day since February and even when it became public that I haven't been upset myself and feel tremendous remorse and regret. And I think about the effect on the people that I know, my family, friends, I mentioned the fans, but it, it all comes together. So I know it's, the negative effect that uh, in my goal right now is to prove. Before it was proving myself on the field, uh, now it's obvious I have to prove myself off the field as well.
3: Man, it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff for a uh, 76-year-old man to, to have to deal with and to choose to deal with. I understand the, the hesitancy to take the job, don't you? And you got to come out and now you got to prove yourself again on and yeah. off the field I mean, as a look, human. Yeah. Uh...
4: This is not uh, the first time, uh, you know, that an executive, baseball executive, has dealt with alcohol issues and uh, survived. Uh, you know, you can go back and look at uh, spousal events that occurred uh, with uh, Bobby Cox, uh, probably about uh, ten or twelve years ago. You go back and uh, see Gene Michael, the general manager of the Yankees, having uh, alcohol-related. There's numerous front office people that have uh, been. Uh, uh, never identified that have had um, uh, alcohol-related incidents and DUIs uh, that uh, uh, were um, uh, still able to keep their jobs. So this is one more, um, but with social media being what it is right now, and the fact that everybody wants perfection uh, with their uh, people that are in sports, uh, it stands out even more. And uh, there's no way I'm apologizing for Tony LaRusa here. Uh, I, am, I am not. Anytime you get behind a wheel of a car and you have alcohol that's more than you should have, you shouldn't be there and that, that's just it. you know So hopefully uh, Tony will not have incidents again and he'll be able to move on and be the manager of the Chicago White Sox Without incidents.
3: Um, some textures are getting in at three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Did anyone ask Tony if he has stopped drinking? He said that he doesn't have a drinking problem. He addressed that and uh, said that he will not be drinking if he is ever going to be driving. And if he is drinking, he will have a driver. So maybe there'll be a, a designated driver within the organization or something like that. But uh, that that part was addressed on the personal issue during the Zoom conference. It is Matt Spiegel and uh, Bruce Levine. we on Inside Levine, the yes. Club. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting, Bruce. I'm sorry.
4: Um, <laughs> you try. You try not to. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll,
3: we'll come back on 6-7 Square. I want to ask you about a transaction that took place this week and how it might affect the trade market for the Chicago Cubs. Didn't involve them, but it sure got me thinking about them. We'll discuss that, among other things. And Bob Nightingale, top of the hour on the Cubs, Sox, and National Baseball News. Your thoughts always welcome at 312-644-6767 on Inside the Clubhouse on the score.
5: Haters pitch on the way to Hayward, swung on, hit in the air, right center field and deep. Back toward the wall, it's got a chance! That ball is gone for a home run. Jason Hayward, a three-run homer, and the Cubs lead 3-2. to two. Can you believe it? It doesn't happen.
3: You don't. Homer off Josh Hader, if you're a lefty, Bruce Levine. But Jason Hayward did. I think it was, what, 17 innings they hadn't scored a run. And there was, I mean, there was a level of dominance from Josh Hader against the Cubs, against lefties. And Jason Hayward did the deed. That was uh, that was pretty great that, uh,
4: that evening. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. One of the fun moments uh, for the Cubs uh, during... 2020, a year where um, they won the division, yet the, the concentrations appeared to be more on the Chicago White Sox, don't you think? Uh, yes. As, as, as strong as the Cubs came out. And remember, they were the best team in baseball the first two weeks. They started 13-3 and three and basically won their division in those two weeks. The rest of the way, they were an under 500 team. Uh, so from that perspective, uh, it was over in that division, even though four teams made it to the playoffs unbelievably out of the Central Division last year. Uh, and the concentration was the more on the upstart Chicago White Sox.
3: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely, because there's nothing quite as exciting in all of sports as when you know your team is next. And the White Sox have had that feeling of next and on the come for a couple of years here. And to have it all come together, along with the excitement of Luis Robert and the arrival of Dallas Keuchel and all these, all these pieces of Brayu playing the best baseball of his life that culminated in an MVP award, it was pretty tremendous. But I, I, we've got a call that I want to get to. But before we do that, I want to ask you your thoughts on the Josh Bell trade to the Washington Nationals, uh, Bruce, because um, they've been rumored in Chris Bryant conversations. Dave Martinez said one thing about openness. Mike Rizzo said, we've had no conversations about Chris Bryant. But then they go out and they trade some prospect capital for Josh Bell, who will play first base for them, Howie Kendrick retiring. But does that, does that end their acquisition mode for veteran bats of consequence on that infield, is what I find myself wondering after the Josh Bell trade.
4: Yeah, and that's a very good question. And you, you wonder, I mean, Washington lacked offensive power uh, last year totally. So I, I don't know if they're done. I, I don't know if a Chris Bryant would fit in there. Uh, all, all the people I talked to say that uh, when, when the Cubs talked to them about Chris Bryant, uh, they were interested. They believe in the player, but uh, they wanted the Cubs to eat a good majority of the contract. Okay, mm. so uh, almost a 19 million dollar contract. Uh, when I say a good majority, uh, they want them to eat at least uh, seven to 10 million dollars of the contract. Okay, that, that's a that's a non-starter for oh. a for a player like Chris Bryant. Okay, uh, you're getting still one of the top young players in the game at age 28, hasn't reached his peak yet. We know about the injuries. We know about the bad season in 2020, but uh, very few people willing to gamble uh, young prospects for Chris Bryant. And again, the Cubs are not giving away Chris Bryant anytime soon. As a matter of fact, the way it looks, it looks like he's going to be with the Cubs at least for the first you know, three months of the season. So from that perspective, uh, I don't believe that he's going anywhere. But I think that Washington will continue to try to uh, fortify their offense. I just don't know how much money they're going to spend. $20 million on a one-year buy-in for a player, no matter Mm -hmm. how good they are right now, is a huge chunk for any major league team to look at knowing uh, the um, unsure status of revenues in 2021.
3: Interesting. Let's go to the calls. This is Chris in Springfield, who's on inside the clubhouse on 670, the score. Good morning, Chris. How are you?
6: Good morning, gentlemen. Two things. Who's going to play first base for the Pirates now? They have someone in the minors that they're counting on. And also, the same night that that trade was made, there was a rumor that the Padres offered four or five prospects for Darvish. Do you see that happening?
4: Uh, I'll answer the, the, the last one first, Matt, and let you and I both tackle the other one. Um, I will give you a lot of background. We don't have the time in this segment uh, on the interests of the Padres, A.J. Preller and you uh, Darvish, but I will. we will talk about their uh, relationship and w- where that connection is off the field as well. Hmm. Um, I, think that, I think the Cubs will listen to any player. I, I think that you uh, Darvish would be a big part of 2021. But we still, met. we still do not know whether it's 2022, 23, 24, that are more important to the Cubs going into this year than 2021. That may anger Cub fans saying, well, we want to win again with these players. But um, what is realistic? What is the best way to go about making the Chicago Cubs a championship caliber team once again? Uh, Certainly, we know they won the division this year, but nobody looked at them as the best team in baseball.
3: Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, in terms of the the time horizon, Jed Hoyer with a five-year deal, so he's got time and some leash in terms of reshaping the organization as he must. But we've got a minute or two, Bruce. I, uh, you know, I, Darvish trading Darvish is a shocker for Cub fans to think about. But if no one is going to acquire. Chris Bryant's 20 mil without asking the Cubs to eat half of it. How necessary is it to get money off the books? Darvish, I think, would be about 23 for this year. I think it's right. It's three years, around 70 million dollars, I believe, is is what's left on on the deal at this point. Uh, I, I was told during during the week um, on the air by John Paul Morosi, who had some of the story, that the Cubs' willingness to trade you, Darvish, is directly tied to their potential inability to trade Chris Bryant. Do you believe that in terms of the finances? No,
4: I do not. I don't believe believe they're driven to get rid of the money. I believe they're they're driven to get better by if they have to trade a top player, getting top value back, okay? So I think there's there's two things here. Sure, uh, they're making a lot of money, but I don't think that's a driving force. What's, What's the driving force is being able to get back Top talent for top talent. And if the Cubs can get back top talent for Chris Bryant and they think it's worthy of a deal, they'll make that trade. If they can get back top talent, and we're talking about two great, two outstanding young pitchers, a position player that uh, they can project to be in the major leagues, uh, all of this would have to be there for the Cubs to make a trade for Hugh Darvish. They are not giving away players. They are not in the mode of saying... We want to get rid of the money. Therefore, we're giving you something and we expect nothing in return. That is just not going to happen. OK, uh, the, the Cub ownership, uh, Jed Hoyer, the baseball top executive, they have too much respect for Cub fans and uh, what they expect and uh, what is expected of them in the future to just give away people to uh, save money. That's just not going to happen.
3: Interesting. So when you say top talent, you mean young talent and you got a little more specific there, not just restocking the farm system, but at least one player, maybe two who could be plugged into the major league uh, roster right away. That's kind of thread the needle trade that we're talking about,
4: right? Absolutely. And it goes back to your initial point about trying to compete uh, for a championship and rebuild at the same time. Nobody did it better than the Yankees in 2016 when they traded uh, Chapman And they Mm -hmm. traded Miller to the Indians and got a cache of young players back, including an all-star in Torres uh, from the Cubs for Chapman and then re-signing Chapman again after that season. So uh, it can be done uh, very difficult, more difficult when you don't have a lot of players coming through your system right now to help your major league team.
3: That, that system has been revamped quite a bit. If we have time later on, we'd love to talk about that with you, um, wh- when to expect fruits of the labor that they're putting in and revamping that minor league system. But when we come back on Inside the Clubhouse, Bob Nightingale from USA Today will talk with us about Cubs, Sox, rumors, and news. Also later on, 50 years in broadcasting, what of the baseball component of that? We will discuss with Les Grobstein. And at 11 o'clock, Bill Madden. Uh, longtime baseball writer, Hall of Famer, and author of a brand new book on one of the best players who passed away this past year. Keep it right here inside the clubhouse on 670 The score.